0: Are the unfairer sex. Three women, three glasses of wine, and a whole world of problems to navigate. Yes, there's going to be some rage, but there's also going to be a hell of a lot of laughing, learning, catharsis, and camaraderie along the way. So grab a glass of wine and join us. Um, I, this has become a bit of a tradition now that we report in what time of day it is and that we don't actually have wine. <laughs> no. So now it's, it's 10 o'clock in the morning. This is day two of three days of recording. We have coffee. That's, yes we do I have water. maybe tomorrow and water. It would, and water. if we were doing it tomorrow morning maybe we'd be on wine by that point after two two days of podcasting but
1: i mean if i'd known there was an option to do an evening one with wine i'd have been there
2: <laughs> next year this is what we say we always think you've had such a great experience we'll invite you back next year instead
1: i mean i used to be a wine merchant that's an aside oh wow definitely should You're have hooked you up on merchant? this <laughs> yeah, yeah i was a wine merchant yeah Oh God! If we want to get onto sexism in the wine trade, anyway, that's not what we're here for. Oh, okay. There's another episode for oh, 2024. No, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say right there? Yeah, sexism in the wine trade.
2: <sighs> I just like to point out also for our listeners right now, there is just a beautiful voice that they're hearing, and they don't actually know who it belongs to, because they know it's you and me, Rhiannon. But uh, like, they haven't met Emily yeah. yet. I feel we should probably introduce anything. Floating, in the ether. <laughs> talking about wine, (laughs) don't be sorry. uh, We're just bad hosts. We should introduce our our guests first. Um, So everyone, this is Emily Barkley. I actually met Emily at a pause Live event, which is a event dedicated to the menopause and the perimenopause. Now, Emily, you have a perimenopause hub, and I I would love for you to introduce yourself and introduce kind of the work that you're doing in that space.
1: Cool. So um, where do I start? Basically, the perimenopause hub came about because of my experience. Um, I started getting perimenopause... Peri- it's going well, can't <laughs> even speak. I started getting peri-symptoms when I was 39. Um, I'd been training for Ironman triathlons. Ooh, there's another place where there's a lot of uh, sexual inequality. Anyway, um, and... <laughs> <laughs> you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. Um Anyway, so I'd been training for Ironman. I was the fittest I'd ever been, blah, 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 blah. And then just suddenly I had this fatigue to a level I've never, never encountered. And I've known people over the years who've had chronic fatigue and things like that. And I was like, well, it's not that, but whoa, this is weird. And then my periods went strange and I was angry. I'm, I can't even put, I'm, I'm not an angry person. I mean, I get angry about inequalities but I'm not a sort of in my personal life I'm not somebody who loses it particularly I don't have the energy for that you know um and I one evening utterly lost my shit I hope I'm allowed to swear you, um,
0: you can at, oh yeah.
1: yeah okay good <laughs> At my partner because dinner was 10 minutes late like I took hangry to another level do you know what I mean anyway so these were all this weird stuff was happening on there I was I was gaining weight despite having not changed what I was eating. And I just didn't recognize myself. Fast forward three, three and a half years of going back and forth to the doctor and all the rest. And eventually, and I'd been tracking my cycle by this point, which I'd never done before. And by the way, huge advocate for tra- tracking your cycle. Wish I'd learned about that when I was younger. Um, finally, the doctor and I said, oh, it's probably perimenopause because it was definitely hormonal. There was It was very apparent from the tracking. And so I'm like, woo! I've got a word, I'm not dead, this is not some horrific diagnosis, it's, you know, puberty again. I got through the first one, I was fairly stroppy, that's okay, I can get through a second one.
0: I love so, that way of looking at it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I came home and I just wanted to find some support, so I I've sort of Googled around, and I just couldn't find what I needed. And what I needed was people in perimenopause, so I was 42 by this point, and all I was finding was kind of Facebook groups and the like for women who were in menopause, so their periods had ended. they were in their fifties it was a and I hadn't realized there was such a big big kind of difference in life stage. I thought you know once you're through puberty, that's kind of it, and then one day you become old <laughs> <laughs> all right. um, and so I was thinking like, "Oh, I don't really belong there because they're all talking about like grandkids and stuff like that, and I was oh. um." Mm and so i was like right i need somewhere where there's people my age and going through the similar things to me and then i was also finding kind of specific websites and stuff from individual practitioners going and here is how we solve menopause this is the this is the food regime you need to follow this is the specific and i'm like i i i'm going to hazard a guess but when it's something that affects half the population. I don't think there can be a one-size-fits-all.
0: I just don't think no. that's possible. It's also not solvable, so, is it? It's just like, yeah, exactly. like it's not a solvable exactly. problem. Yeah. So, Wave one, dag- ab- ab- abracadabra, you're fixed.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and now you are magically done. You know. And so I thought, well, I wonder if I could sort of bring together some experts so that people can have choice. And yeah. then people can, you know, if they want to understand what nutrition is going to support them to feel a bit better great but if they want the medical route brilliant if they want to sort out past traumas that are holding them back because now their hormones have gone back shit, they the traumas have resurfaced then there's the people to help them with that and so on and so forth so i just kind of started bringing together a few experts initially in the uk then suddenly got a flurry in canada then australia then the us then sort of went oh, okay apparently this is a thing right and simultaneously set up a Facebook group simply because I didn't know how to put a forum onto the website. And I thought it would help, I don't know, maybe a thousand, two thousand women. Yeah. I think we're going to tick over 80,000 before Christmas.
0: Wow, that's amazing. That's really good, Emily. That's really cool. So...
1: So that is that is now my world. And I have become labelled the Perry Godmother. I <laughs> love that. <laughs> Which,
2: I mean, yeah. you did get stickers um, made. So I feel that like you're comfortable with this.
1: I wholly embrace this. I had stickers. Well, yes. So when Ellie and I met, I was going around offering free hugs and I had stickers that said I've been hugged by the Perry Godmother because who doesn't need a hug and a sticker? <laughs> That's it. That uh, will
2: solve menopause. Yes. They're overcomplicating yeah, this. Yeah.
1: Revert to being a five year old. Everything's okay.
2: Before the periods kick in. Yeah, um, yeah no, and that was exactly my moment. So I actually listened to Emily on a panel discussion um, at the Pause Live event I, and actually went and spoke to you afterwards because there were some of the topics that kind of came up on, um, on stage. And again, what you were kind of talking through was just the options, making sure that women had options for whichever experience or whichever kind of journeys they were going through. And then kind of whatever um, solutions they felt were mo- most appropriate for kind of, you know, tackling some of the issues. And we spoke about uh, in a previous episode that some women now experience, or there's been recognized up to 30 to 40 symptoms around menopause. And actually a lot of women uh, will experience at least one of those, but you know, most women will experience more than one. So, um, and I actually came up to you afterwards and said, you know, I, I love this. There's a, there's this is huge energy in this room, everyone seems really happy and I love the fact that there's just so many solutions out here. But then I said, am I being a skeptic here <laughs> by thinking there's so many solutions? And also there was such a focus, it felt like for me, about cosmetic enhancements. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, I'm a little bit concerned that the menopause as a community, as a market, for lack of a better word, feels like it's becoming quite commercialized and suddenly everyone is coming out the woodwork with a new solution that's going to solve all these problems for all these women and how do we stop the commercialization of menopause in the same way or basically try and stop it kind of Falling into the trap that the diet industry fell into and obviously became extremely toxic and that was my concern and i said to you i almost whispered it because i'm like i don't want to break like the magic that's going on here today because it was such a beautiful atmosphere and everyone sees be having such a great day and you know having those conversations they needed but i was just very aware of just how much was around us and and just suddenly felt very conscious um about where the menopause market was going because women need solutions and I don't think we're sat here going hogs are going to change the world like the women actually need proper I mean solutions. they'll do a
0: good job they'll, they'll do, do a, a good job, job.
2: <laughs> so women <laughs> but... need the solutions but where like how do we draw that line between a fad and an actual solution
0: but before we go on to that bit that's an excellent intro to ev- everything that's going to happen <laughs> in this episode but Emily has said she has a sorry. What did he say for us? So put I'm a gonna pin in that little just pin. Just gonna pause it, menopause it briefly. Like we did the right? <laughs> yeah. Just nice. gonna pause it briefly and head to our sorry. What did he say? But we'll remember where we left off on that. I mean, I won't so,
1: remember because I'm in perimenopause, so I don't
0: have a memory. <laughs> so I'm gonna <don't> <laughs> you see We've got you, Emily. Well, try, We've got you. Try. <laughs> So we'll head over to you for, for, and thank you so much for that intro. That's, I mean, everything you're doing is awesome, and we will come back to all of it.
1: Yeah. yeah yeah and I what I, what I didn't I, add I, into the intro which apparently I already led with was I used to be a wine merchant I also have too many dogs I don't know if those are relevant things but
0: absolutely always relevant, relevant
1: things.
2: Yeah. Always <laughs>
0: relevant. Uh, at the end I'm going to ask you about wine wine and, yeah. and yeah. sex with <clears and throat> in the wine industry also my little this is my beautiful pup behind me <laughs> who is um we won a photo shoot not long ago and so he got this beautiful photo shoot. So there are three ridiculously sized pictures of my dog around the house. Someone was like, I don't know how I feel about you having these massive pictures of your dog. And I was like, why? He's well, the, my the baby. pictures
2: are bigger than your
0: dog. So I kind yeah, of feel. Yeah, they like... they are. It. My dog's tiny. <laughs> so. How many dogs do you have, Emily, before we move on? Four currently. We did have Four six. Four currently. But yeah. your dog's dog, dog's dog needs a dog, right? So you're yeah. you considering a fifth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: What breed yeah. of dog? How much space um, are we talking about
1: here? They're, they're quite big. So, for, three of them are rescues from Romania. Um, one is a Carpathian shepherd, which is a Romanian shepherd dog. Um, two of them are dogs. And then we have a rescue from the UK, who is a Belgian Malinois.
0: Wow, oh my goodness. Yeah, a lot of space.
1: <laughs> yeah, we usually have two acres, but we also live on a river. Plain. so currently we don't have two acres we have about a quarter of an acre and a lake <laughs> <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> i mean you know that's not a bad way to live i feel like i don't have a lake emily
1: well you know i'm just showing off now you, I a little like. bit. <laughs> you and your four dogs in your lake like <laughs> oh, <I> know, right? <laughs> life goals <gold.
0: laughs> this is this is what happens when you're the perry godmother this 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 is the kind of things that that you uh you deserve yeah
1: I know, right? That's the know, spoils of being <laughs> know, a Perry Godmother. Perry Godmother. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so my... I'm sorry, what? Sorry, what did you say? I'm sorry, what did you say? <laughs> um, so it ties in with menopause, but it's about um, fat shaming in the medical world. I'd reached the point when I decided it was time to try HRT, So I went to the doctor, lovely, and um, they have to check your blood pressure and all this, and it turned out my blood pressure was quite high. So the the conversation was, is there a family history of that? Blah, blah, blah. Yes, I'll find out. Family WhatsApp? Yes, there is. Right, good. Next time I spoke to the doctor, um, he's like, okay, right, so we need to sort this uh, blood pressure out. Yes, we do. Okay. And I was like, oh, now um, the nurse asked me to find out if there's a family history there is fine. Cool. My younger brother and my mum. And I said, Oh, and I've read around it. And I gathered that stress can have an impact. And he said, oh yes, well, yes, well I can. And, um, I said, well, you know, um, of late my partner had a car crash and broke his back. Then our house flooded and then one of our dogs died. So feeling the stress kind I of thing. Him. So I'm like, these could be explanations. Anyone? Oh. So what do you weigh? Um, I don't know here's a number and he went ooh and I was just like no
0: what is no. this a car dealership like a <laughs> and <laughs> Suck I, just in teeth? No. <laughs> I
1: just said no we're not we're not talking about my weight here yeah. this isn't the conversation for that I've I've given you several you know, perfectly reasonable reasons as to why my blood pressure is currently high. Mm -hmm. And frankly, we only know about this because I want to go on HRT so that I can get back my energy and ability to exercise and all the rest. And I'm not letting you screw over my mental health Mm -hmm. because the number on the scales is too high. And he sort of went Okay, thank you. Noted. and I, I came off the phone going, "I did it! I did it!" <laughs> <laughs> so I did. I'm proud of you. I was even there.
0: What? A, what? A, yeah. And and do you do you think you would have done it if you'd been in person? Because you just said you were on the phone. Do you think you would have?
1: No, almost certainly not. Yeah. Um. I I might have done, only because since running the hub, I kind of and this is such a ridiculous thing but i i feel like i've taken on being a voice for people who don't necessarily have a voice
0: yeah
1: and whether that's women being disregarded for their menopause symptoms whether that's women being fat shamed whatever Mm -hmm. i do feel like because i am a gobby cow (laughs) i don't (laughs) mind being the one who will just say it yeah and it was easier over the phone, definitely. But I think in real, I think in person, I probably would have still said, "I don't think we're going to go down that route." I might not have been quite so um, precise about it.
0: Well, I'm I'm super impressed that you that you said it because I think one of the things you're saying, "I'm a gobby cow and I'm someone that wants to wants to have give a voice to other people that don't have one." I find it incredibly easy to stand up for other people. If if someone said if I was in a doctor's surgery with somebody. And they and the doctor said that to my friend, I would be like, "Absolutely not. like that's not happening. Um, it's the same with members of my team at work. if If someone is horrible to them in a meeting, if they talk over them, I will always stand up for them mm. when it's me. I I mostly will not do it. But as you said, it's, you know, that that moment could really affect your mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, and I've 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 been there once. I went to the doctors for something completely unrelated to my weight, completely un- unrelated. I can't remember what it was. You know, it might have been I sprained my ankle or something like it was so unrelated to my weight. And but they decided to do a checkup, fine, whatever got on the scales. And he said, um, and I I was probably the fittest I've been in a really long time. I was working out really hard. I was lifting weights. I was was working with a personal trainer, was properly muscular. And uh, he said, uh, I really think you need to watch out because you're tipping over on your BMI. And and it was that you really, and I just, uh, I was just like, what? Like, because mm-hmm. I've, I've always had issues with my body image. And I'm certain that's in my notes somewhere. I must have said it at some yeah. point, And it's definitely in my notes. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like saying that to someone, he was a locum as well. And it's like, you haven't read my notes. You don't know my history. And you don't know what, what my background is. And you're saying to me, watch out because you like, look at me. I was at that point, as I said, I was probably the fittest, slimmest, most muscular I've ever been. And he said, you need to watch out. And like, I I left and I, I rang my boyfriend and just cried down the phone because I was just like, what, what, what did he just do? Can I can I just do a little aside about BMI? Yeah, it's bullshit. It
1: was it, it came about because a Belgian mathematician wanted to know the average height and weight of the average man. Yeah. <laughs> In in Germany, Germany in Belgium, in Belgium, yeah, yeah, like, and I, I, I'm waiting now. I'm like, ever since having this information, I'm like, come on, then, come on, doctors, BMI me, because I just want to like whop my boobs at them and go. Didn't consider for. these, did you? <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. Oh God, please! If you ever do it, please. Oh, do. I will do, do it. it. When yeah. yeah. When and, the opportunity, and, for... and contact us. <laughs> <laughs> and just be like, so I just got my boobs out on a doctor Or, oh, Rihanna and Ellie, please come and get me out of the police station. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just got the tits out. <laughs> <laughs> one at
2: a really time really on the scales, fun. like to be it, like.
1: It will happen one day when they when somebody catches me on the wrong day and tries to BMI me, I will be like. No,
2: we're not yes. doing. This. <laughs> Honestly, I got I got called obese because um, of BMI. I'm I'm seventy five kilos. They're nothing to you. I five foot six. Yeah, like and it's because I was muscular and um, I lost my job <clears throat> years ago. Now so I had like a month of gardening leave. And I was at home and I was at the gym like twice a day, um, well, in between applying for jobs. And I put on about two kilos of, of pure muscle because I was just training so much. And um, I went to the doctors for my, my pill checkup and they said, oh, you know, you put on a bit of weight, you know, you should we be, uh, be concerned? Can you jump on the scales? And they said, oh, it's looking like you're like obese. Like, where's this actual weight come from? And I was like, probably these. And I literally did like the gun show at her. And I was like, it's probably these pups. Um but, yeah, I think, like, uh, going back to the Gobby Cow thing, well, I don't, I don't think that's actually fair on yourself. I know you've said that in jest, but I also think that we get such a bad name for ourselves when we do advocate for ourselves, to the point that we yeah. get called Gobby outspoken, et cetera. So I think, I know that you were saying it in a jestful way, but also I think that is being very unfair on yourself. I think you were just, you know, using your voice yes. in a way that we should all feel like we can without, you know, then attracting a, a
1: bad nickname. And, and if I were male, I would be assertive.
0: Yeah, hundred percent a hundred percent male you probably they probably never would have said anything about your yeah. weight I'm I'm absolutely certain I've I've got friends male friends who are a bit overweight and I'm certain when they've been to the doctors it's never been brought up I, no. it's it doesn't happen and and like I yeah. said it, it I'm I'm sure it comes up for unrelated things like yeah like why are you telling me I need to lose weight right now but also like just consider like actually look at me I, and that's yeah, the thing, a lot of the time doctors don't look mm. and it's like you just took a moment to consider everything that's happening here and mm. also, say for instance you had put on weight, as you said, you're going you, you. that was one of your symptoms of the perimenopause was putting on a bit of weight but you're also yeah. incredibly stressed, putting on a bit of weight is not unreasonable so like, consider what I've said, it, Is is this a concerning amount of weight? No like <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm just going to
1: tangential towards menopause briefly there, it's this whole thing in, and I see this a lot in just the medical community, and I'm not dissing doctors because they're brilliant at what they do, but there's this um, tendency in the medical world to put everything into averages mm-hmm. and not really to think about where those averages have come from. So menopause in particular, this it, it's a little maths lesson that I like to regularly Churn out, you know the average age of reaching menopause, which is when you've gone a year without having a period in the U in the UK and the US, is fifty one. Which obviously comes from averages because <laughs> not, it's not so suddenly you wake up on your fifty first birthday, ta da, all done. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah. And so obviously there's outliers. There are people who c- carry on having periods until they're like fifty six, fifty seven. There's people who are all done by kind of forty six, forty seven. Mm. And perimenopause is. 10 to 12 years before that. And yet I'm constantly hearing about women, even by like mid 40s, being told they're too young because the doctors are just looking at one one average and not even considering that an average comes from outliers. Yeah. Yeah. And the same with BMI. You know, again, they're yeah. just looking at this one average and just going, well, you need to fit into this box and it's like oh well, hang on I, I don't fit in that box that's not that's not a, an Emily shaped box I I need an Emily shaped box
2: thanks but going back to what Rihanna said and you definitely picked up on a different podcast is you know you just need a doctor to look at you and when you've only yeah. got a 15 minute appointment and this is definitely stealing Rhiannon's good words now but when you've only got a 15 minute appointment or a 10 minute appointment whatever it is most women feel most people patients feel they can go in with one symptom and we know yep. that the Mary like the perimenopause would often throw up more than one symptom so actually, actually, if a doctor is literally going by averages or is going by, like, one neat thing, then it will probably take longer to diagnose something because, actually, you're missing half the picture every time you go into that, you know, the doctor's appointment. So I think, actually, maybe using that 10 minutes to be like, okay, let's have a chat. And I know that at the pause light there was um, a lot of people, so I mentioned in writing down your symptoms and making sure you're tracking things. So, actually, when you go to the doctors, you can give them that picture much quicker. Um, But, yeah, I think, actually jumping off those scales and say like really dude am i obese just just give me a once over like i'll even do a little twelve if that makes you feel better but like i'm obviously okay in terms of my health and again i've come in for my bloody pill so it's like again i, I don't know what the issue anyway so i think yeah. what you said was great i think sometimes you know doctors yeah. are people so actually sometimes reminding them to like rein their necks in a little bit and just be like just treat people with a bit more empathy treat people with a little bit more respect around these sort of subjects um, I think the, every now and then having a reminder from somebody who is prepared to say it can actually be incredibly helpful, not only to their practice but then obviously to other patients that they'll end up seeing um, going forward. So yeah. yeah,
1: and and I you know I I have to hope that in saying that I have potentially saved a future person yeah. from being sent into that horrible diet spiral.
2: Yeah. And also you said it in a really polite way. This is not us advocating for you to start abusing doctors. Do not do that. But like if you are feeling uncomfortable in a doctor's and again, you know, in person we appreciate it's harder, but if you are feeling uncomfortable, feel free to advocate for yourself and say like, you know, I came to speak to you about X, can we please continue talking about that instead and just kind of bring them back to the reason you're in the room, I think is completely
0: reasonable. And, you know,
2: yeah, you're not upsetting anyone, but hopefully you'll get the answer that you need. You stay on point on that.
0: Yeah. And if you're someone yeah, who yeah. isn't terribly good at advocating for yourself, then take someone with you. Like it's we, we've we'll talked about it in a previous episode. Um, it, it can help. Uh, we know, sadly, that having having a man in the room can often help as well. But um, yeah, it's one of our previous episodes someone said it wasn't until her husband was in the room that uh, her fiance was in the room that she was actually listened to Um, and her husband had said oh you know that that doctor seemed lovely and she was like nope that's the one that we I've had all this time who hasn't been listening to me Um, but yeah I mean take someone with you and then at least you can have someone else there to sort of even nudge you a little bit and go go on like say what you need to say Um, I don't think that's a that's a bad thing Yeah. yeah Fabulous! You did a great job, I think, and uh I think we should all—we should just, yeah, put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not today, sunny boy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Can I ask a quick question though, as well? Because um, so I think most of us on this call actually, Rhiannon is a quite a fit person. I'm quite a fit person. by sounds Emily. You thoroughly enjoyed. Not anymore, but I
0: was. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Did you say an Iron Man you did or you were training for? Yeah.
2: That's astonishing. So like I I definitely grew up in a fat phobic house. I know I did. Um whether that like my parents will ever proclaim that or not, but there was a lot of references to my sister's weight growing up. Again I was naturally a bit more skinny than them but also i got a lot of comments from my brother Uh, so actually i was anorexic when i was 17 because my brother just called me fat one too many times and i really took that to heart so i ended up you know had a bit of a year um not anyway so i had a year and um ended up luckily recovering from that and uh, again i still remember the moment i told my dad like like i told him the exact calories of a bagel or what what my plate was and he's like ellie what the fuck like this is not normal behavior um and the reason I ask you this is because like, I now find myself in this kind of like headspace where, again, I, I work really hard for my body. I'm really proud of that. And I am kind of conscious on the food I eat and etc. cetera. Um, and I am a bit nervous, you know, when things like such as like perimenopause is in my future. I know that's going to come along. And I find it very difficult to balance kind of finding that self-confidence in yourself because that's who you know and that's what you've known versus creeping into fat phobia which I know I grew up around etc and I just wondered obviously going from being a you know an Ironman athlete to then obviously dealing with your with your weight gain how did you in like mentally manage that because I think am I asking the right question do you see what like yeah I'd also like to really point out at
0: this stage because we can see you and our audience can't and you don't need us to tell you this but you're you're clearly not fat but you're you you said you're much fitter and you've and you gained yeah. weight during your perimenopause so,
1: yeah and I'm I'm 100% open about this I I have no qualms I'm very happy to talk about um body shape body acceptance all of those things it's one of my most favorite topics in the world frankly okay. so this might be quite a long answer I apologize I'll let you edit it accordingly <laughs> 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 um when my partner and I started doing triathlons I had a. I was probably about a UK size fourteen, and I believed that meant I was very fat, and I had quite a lot of internalised body issues that had, I can look. I can look back at it. It stemmed. From, <laughs> this is ridiculous. Very aware it's ridiculous. Um, there was an advert in the mid to late eighties for Special K, which said, "If you can pinch an inch." I was maybe 10 or 11 when that came out and Mm. I would roll I would sit forward so that I could find an inch to pinch to tell myself I was fat
0: I mean Um, just just before you carry on I mean this is a prime example we've talked about this previously on on episodes of, of the effect that that kind of advert has that you know Bridget Jones being nine and a half stone and saying that she has to lose tw- 12 pounds or whatever it was and you know all, the effect that it has you were 10 or 11 and it stayed with you yeah. yeah
1: and it it, you know and then through puberty obviously your body shape changes and so then I, I, I never I never had an eating disorder but I definitely had I definitely had a disordered relationship with food and that carried on you know um <laughs> a photo you know have photos come up on your Facebook memories and you're like Oh, and I thought I was fat. Huh. And I'm exactly the same size as the people I'm sitting with, you know, whatever. Anyway, fast forward to when we started doing triathlons and then suddenly you're spending a lot of your life in lycra or in, um, wetsuits. And suddenly you become acutely aware of every lump and bump. Mm -hmm. And I, I am somebody who has boobs and hips. That's just literally the shape I am. There is no changing that. Like, like, However small I get, I will always have boobs and
2: hips. And because I've always got the opposite problem, where I don't have boobs, and I often yeah. then get really conscious about my tummy. Because if I'm ever bloated, etc., like I always felt I was out of proportion because my tummy often came out more than my boobs did. So like, I never wore bikinis <laughs> because I was always so weirded out by that shape. And it's in it's, again. It, it's such a horrible thing to and be in your head about. And it's because just a
1: body. It's just a body. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so, yeah, so it was this like starting doing the triathlons and then going and joining Slimming World and getting all my certificates and being, you know, slimmer of the year or whatever the fuck they call you. And it just, well, with hindsight, I screwed over my hormones really well. I did a really good number on myself by massively raising my cortisol by doing a lot of endurance cardio and by doing Slimming World, which is high carb, low fat, and our bodies need fat. Yeah. Anyway. So um completely forgotten the point of what I'm talking <laughs> about, but I'll keep on talking. But no, that was it. So how I so when I first started, like my body shape started first changing, it was I mean, it was horrible. It was I remember going shopping with mum. <laughs> it's just ridiculous and sobbing you know i was it was she was taking me shopping for my 40th birthday and i was there in the in the changing rooms sobbing because this body shape that i'd finally got it to what i thought was an acceptable shape by virtue of doing this ironman training and doing slimming world and 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 apparently i thought i was therefore acceptable and suddenly this shape had started changing and i remember coming out of that shop and the temptation to go into the Boots Chemist just over the road and buy all of the weight loss tablets was just terrifyingly strong. And I didn't do that. Um, And then I trained as a personal trainer. (laughs) Um, And during the training for that, we had to do loads of stuff in, in gyms, obviously, and there's just all these massive mirrors. And my perception was that I was this huge, great elephant next to all these little slender things. Sure, I wasn't. And then I was just like, oh, my God. And then just kept fighting it and fighting and fighting. Anyway, one day um, I stumbled across um, a book and kind of um, community called Beyond Chocolate. Don't know if you've heard of that. Um, The book is by sisters Sophie and Audrey Boss. And it's all about legalizing all food for yourself, accepting yourself as you are, and actually tuning into what your body needs food-wise right now. So that was my kind of first foray into kind of the world of mindful eating and intuitive eating and that sort of stuff, and basically everything that diets aren't. And suddenly I found myself in this little sort of Facebook community full of women who were celebrating their size, celebrating their body, celebrating the fact that they had this amazing waist and these boobs and these hips and therefore they could wear these funky dresses or whatever, but celebrating everybody's shape and everybody's size and everybody. Mm -hmm. I was like, huh, interesting. (laughs) Wow, there's a world in which we can celebrate ourselves regardless of our size. Huh, interesting. And by the time I set up the hub, I was quite deeply into that world of just like, no, food restriction is, is utter bullshit. And so one of the first rules that I put in place in the, in the perimenopause hub, in the Facebook group, and which I absolutely stand by, is we do not talk about diets ever because it is so triggering because so many women, by the time they get to their forties, have tried every diet under the sun, have believed that they are wrong, the wrong shape, the wrong size, the wrong, whatever, forever. And I just, I can't deal with having that on my watch. And Ellie, you've met me in real life. You know, I think we can say I was probably the most colourful person. Oh, absolutely. Hands
2: down, that prize goes to you, yeah.
1: And because actually I'm going to celebrate being me. Yeah. And... Yeah, I wanted to be ridiculously colorful. I wanted to stand out. I didn't want to blend in. Yeah. And yeah, if I'm if I'm bigger, I'll take up that space. Thanks. This is the space I take up. My body takes up this much space. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fit into your little sp- little gaps anymore like it like I thought it needed to. Now, my body takes up this much space. Yeah. And frankly, if that is a result of, you know, going through the menopause transition and all the rest is that my body shape has changed. I haven't changed my morals haven't changed my 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 personality hasn't changed just the the vessel that i live in has changed a bit
0: and i mm. suppose that's something that uh, i i'm completely with ellie on the on and 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 with you as well with how you felt pre- previously with that like fear of of my body changing um and um it's a really really tough thing i think to get your head around that it's going to happen um but also that the rest of the world don't seem to know it's going to happen. Even though half the population is going through this, everyone else doesn't realize. And so this comes back to, you know, the expectations on women. It comes back to looking at older women and, and not even older women, you know, we're talking that perimenopause can start in your 30s. So, you know, you can start getting those symptoms. Um, but you're looking at older women and going, "Well, you're not the shape that you were when you were 21," and et cetera, et cetera. And and I think that's it's something that I'm sure we've all done. You know, you think, "Oh, I was 13 and I started my periods and started going through puberty and I changed shape." Well, that was horrible. I hit 21 and I I I there's that phrase in there. I wish I was as fat as I thought I was or something like when you yeah. know I look at I look at pictures of when I was 21. I thought I I thought I was fat and I wasn't i was I was probably a size ten when I was twenty one but I was desperate to lose weight, but I look back at that and and like I'm like, oh, I wish I could be like I was then, but I'm never going to be like I was then, partly because I'm now in my late thirties and I've got an underactive thyroid and you know. But the thing is, is like you const, I think a lot of people feel like they constantly have to justify it. So it's like, oh, well, I've put on weight and changed shape because I'm going through the menopause. I've put on weight and I've changed shape because mm-hmm. I'm stressed or because I've got an underactive thyroid. Or because, and it's like, can't we just go because? Yeah. <laughs> That's and the, I think th- also, this is it. But
1: I think also then people start kind of wanting to hide away and, you know, wear sort of head-to-toe black or wear sort of big baggy things that, like, and I'm just like, can't we just celebrate? I mean, it's just a body. Yeah. And and also, as long as the... I just think so long as the person inside the body has a decent moral compass and, you know, all of those good things, mm. you know.
0: And I th- I think this is a really good uh, link into sort of the commercialisation of, of uh, the menopause because, you know, I'm certain that there are a million and one diets... And and I don't mean like um, you you mentioned at the beginning about what foods can help with symptoms. And I'm certain there are in the same way that I yeah. know that there is certain foods that I should try and avoid for my thyroid or I should try and eat more of, etc. So I'm sure there are foods that, that do help, but I'm sure there are a million and one diets that are there to help you lose weight during menopause or you know slimming tablets specifically for people going through the menopause so yeah i think it's a good link into into that commercialization and the dangers of of that
2: because this is the thing isn't it it's like it's not Feeling conscious about your body is is a valid response to change, right? If you've got used to something, etc. So it's also, I think, sometimes saying to women like, "Oh, you you know, you shouldn't worry about this sort of stuff" can also sometimes feel quite dismissive. And I think when a lot of us have grown up, again, you know being told to be conscious of our weights and feeling like we have to be particular sizes and shapes, etc., that, you know, to suddenly then have quite a drastic change when you hit middle age, when you're perhaps feeling a bit more anxious or again, you're like hormones all over the place, etc. So it's just another symptom that you're kind of then working through. Um, I think for for me, it's, it's kind of that knife edge, isn't it? It's like, you're aware there's changes and you want to make sure that you're healthy and kind of, you know, you're feeling good about yourself, but you then don't want to tip too far into, I'm now going to take every diet pill under the sun because I need to be as skinny as possible. And I find that, I'm certainly on that tip and balance. You know, I I had a back injury two years ago and I I had to stop a lot of my sport overnight. And I definitely put some weight on. And I remember my husband made a comment about the fact that I should eat a little less ice cream. And I said to him, the problem I've got is that if I constantly wait until I've had a good day, quote unquote, to eat my tub of Ben and Jerry's, because I used to have it after a hockey game where I burnt 3000 calories according to my watch. So it was like a reward. And I said, but if I, like, I can't look at my food like that anymore because... I'd never eat a tub of Ben and Jerry's because I can't go play hockey. So am I now going to deny myself the food I absolutely adore because I haven't burnt enough calories, you know? And so, like, I, yeah, he didn't mean it maliciously, but it's one of those things of, like, oh, you're not doing any sport at the moment. Maybe you should, like, cut back a little bit on your ice cream. And um, I just, yeah, for me, it was that moment of being like, oh, my goodness, like, I I have to accept that my body will change probably over the next kind of two years while I'm recovering from this and I'm managing a back injury. Um, and then when I get to start playing sports again, I get to start doing fitness and my body will probably change again and I'll be able to, and it's, I think that's a real mental challenge of, you know, trying to not beat yourself up when those changes happen, recognize there's things that you want to do for yourself to maybe feel like energy levels, or again, you, you feel better in a particular thing, but um particular size. But when we were at like Paul's live, it, it was shocking for me, again, just how many stands, We're focused on weight loss, we're focused on supplements, we're focused, there was an ab machine there to get your core back, you know, and to get your visible abs. There was a lot of cosmetic um, work uh, being uh, advertised and there's actually a lot of women walking around with who had a lot of noticeable cosmetic work as well and again that isn't shaming those women like again if that's the path that they feel most comfortable taking um crack on but for me it, it was it was a surprise i think to see so much of that as publicly as it was and again certainly that guy in that suit i forgot what his name was but my goodness you know the one that um sanita called up on stage
1: Oh, I'd gone home by then. I oh my. had to get my train back to deepest, darkest rural places. I mean,
2: he was suited and booted and according to Sunita's changed her life. You know, she ranted and raved about him and said, you know, like he, she wouldn't be where she was today without him. Um, apparently she did. he did some injections to her, to her vulva, which basically means that she now gets to enjoy sex again. Um, but... I've I've since looked at his uh, Instagram page and I kind of feel like I went to him. I'm paying for him to get a new Porsche. So, like, I'm literally giving him my menopause symptoms so he can buy himself a new car. That's what it felt like as a vibe he gave off. And I'm just like, oh, I don't know about this now. Because there are going to be women there who, who would like solutions, who would like to feel a bit fitter, who would like to lose a little bit of weight that they've gained overnight. And they absolutely yeah. deserve to be able to have those conversations and to be able to ask for those solutions and have somebody genuinely try and help them if they can. Versus... You know, stands, and I know that Rhiannon, your pushback to this was saying, well, you know, the venue was great. We needed to get people there to kind of obviously make it
0: affordable and be able to afford- pay for itself. Yeah,
2: exactly that. So, um, so
0: but so, uh, it's a fine balance, I think, right? So the the article the, the I think there's a Guardian article that says that by yeah. 2030, the menopause market will be worth 24.4 billion dollars, and I suppose. You know, everything to do specifically to do with women is valuable, and I suppose I I'm fine with women having cosmetic surgery and having things to make themselves feel better, as long yeah. as they're making them. You know, there's then this circular thing, isn't it, where it's like, well, I need to look this certain way because society tells me I need to look a certain way, so I'm going to do it. But if it makes them feel better, then. Go- Go right ahead. It's the it's where the line I think is where it's preying on insecurities. That's the problem that I have. Or where there's no science behind it. I'm perfectly fine with the fact meter had um, had injections in a vulva to make her have good sex. If oh, c- if that Sinita. Sinita, sorry, yeah. Sanita. If 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 that is a thing and mm. it helped her and she was struggling to have good sex and that was affecting her mental health. And this has fixed that and she can afford it. Fabulous. However, it, it yes. was it. Yeah, it's it's pre- it's the preying on people who it, are having insecurities about certain things, I think.
1: And and I think this is this is the thing. This is this is where I come at it from, is that for everybody, It's it's your body and you do with it what you want. You know, absolutely. Hundred percent you know um but i think when and certainly the menopause space is in danger of this becoming a thing whereby we live in a society where women are meant to stay stay young and beautiful and actually that's not what nature intends for us Mm. we get older like this shit happens and getting older is a privilege it's not you know not everybody gets the chance to get older and you know i fully intend to live to at least 94 that's you know
0: i'm not 94 at, at least 94, least
1: 94.
0: So where where did 94 come from i love i love 94 as a as a like not not 96 or 87
1: no 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 at least 94 <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i
0: yeah. like it um,
1: my great grandmother was 94 when she died my great uncle was 94 so you know at least that fabulous. at least 94 yeah. yeah um i need to ski when i'm 82 You know, it's just, you know, these things have to happen. So, you know, I'm now 47. I've got a shit ton of stuff still to do. Yeah. And frankly, I just don't have the energy to waste that time worrying that my body shape is changing. Like I've done a lot. I've put a lot of energy over the years into worrying that my body shape is changing. A lot of energy, (laughs) too much energy. And now I'm just like, No, I, Mm. that doesn't, that doesn't need to be a thing. And, um, there's the whole kind of like the whole Botox thing and the, you know, the surgery thing and stuff. Fine. Absolutely. If, if there is a, a feature on your, on your person that is really causing you distress, I absolutely understand that you would want to do something about that to fix it. You know, just as if you're if you hate your clothes, you'll get different clothes. I I totally get that. But when it's this external narrative that having wrinkles on your face is a bad thing, like, dude, having wrinkles on my face is because I've moved my face. It's because I've laughed. It's because I've smiled. It's because I've been angry. It's because I've, I've had emotions. And my face tells you all of that stuff. And that's what it's designed to do, you know. And I just think... Because, you know, as our oestrogen lowers, oestrogen is everywhere in women's bodies. You know, it, it does affect our skin. It affects our um, it affects our hair. It affects our nails. It affects, you know, it, it's everything. And so I totally see that there are a lot of women who then look in the mirror and go, oh, well, that's changed. Oh, goodness. That's all different. Oh, oh my neck's different. Oh, goodness. Oh. And are suddenly wanting to go and find all the creams and the lotions and potions and whatever. And In itself, that is fine. Do whatever it is that makes you feel the best version of you to leave the house and all the rest. Absolutely. Mm. However, when now that menopause is being talked about and is more of a topic rather than a taboo, when you then start seeing makeup brands specifically bringing out a a sort of a brand of moisturizer for menopausal skin, and I'm like, dude, what are you talking about here? Yeah. And just I, I see it a lot with just brands going, huh, interesting. So once women get to menopause age, they're probably financially relatively well off, quite a lot more stable than they might have been financially when they were younger. Mm-hmm. And they've got a new set of insecurities, <laughs> Huh. Hey, marketing guys, what do you think we could do? Huh. Good idea, sales guy. Uh, right. Let's have a look at what these insecurities are. Mm-hmm. Huh. What can we monetize here? And that's not cool. You know, and, and the sort of the, you know, in, in in my little world with my hub and my the experts that I have on there, We are all people who have experienced a shit time through menopause and have gone on to do things to help people not to feel shit. And yes, of course, we have to make money because, you know, bills have to be paid and dogs have to be fed. Mm -hmm. But it's the – everybody that I work with, our starting point is helping people not to feel shit. But I see some of these big brands and I feel like that isn't their starting point. Their starting point is simply
0: how do we line our pockets,
1: and, and what I'm like, a, that's
0: not cool. And yeah. what a kind of um, it's a it's a really rubbish outcome that the fact that we now are much happier talking about the menopause. It's more it's people share their experiences more. People understand the per the perimenopause is something that I really only heard about mm. probably I'd say five years ago yeah. um, because um, uh, someone who I managed in my team. Um, mm-hmm. told me about it and that she'd really been struggling. Um, before that, I, pro- I don't think I knew anything about it. Um, but what a rubbish situation that now that we're going, look, this is a thing women go through. We need menopause policies at work. We need, people need to share their symptoms more so that we understand them, etc., etc. The response to that is, ooh, money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like and that's, a, that's a real shame. I
1: had a call with um, a company who I will, not name for for obvious reasons and they were looking to get into the menopause space and so they'd obviously reached out to various people in this space and I had a call and it just it just made me laugh frankly it was it was a a team of marketing people and there was I think four of them two of the girls were probably early 20s there was a guy in his 30s and there was someone else and I can't remember anyway and I'm like hmm right this is interesting because you guys are definitely just looking at this from a marketing point of view yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um at some point the guy sort of piped up and he goes so uh, emily now on all your social media how do you how do you plan what you know what tone of voice to use and i was like i what i mean i just asked to see photos of people's dogs <laughs> and and like on a friday we have gift night because then people can put up gifts of how tired they're feeling or whatever or the fact that they're drinking wine (laughs) what and he's like "Hmm. authentic tone of voice (laughs) and i'm like okay don't think i belong here no it's
2: yeah i uh When you start getting, like, groups of marketers on a phone call trying to, like, how do we market to your demographic? Because, yeah. obviously, at this point, like, there's a 30 year old male and two 20-year-old women and, obviously, the full fund you did disclose. So, like, you know, they don't really know or understand this yet. And it's, you know, good of them to try and reach out to at least somebody who might understand it. Um,
0: but, yeah, but... It to hire somebody who uh, who does understand it. Yeah,
2: I just also felt like, you know, when I was doing a bit of research for this um, this episode, the thing that really shocked me was uh, there's a couple of phrases that kept coming out. One of them was uh, by Anne Garnier, the CEO of Lisa Health. And she forecasted that 2023 was going to be the year of menopause. And part of me is like, but surely menopause is every year because like half the population is gonna go through like it doesn't doesn't one year dedicated this every year. Um there's the fact that you've got it's an, it's uh, remained it's described as a largely untapped market, which is valued at six hundred billion dollars. So it's considered a market opportunity. There are then other people who go on to say um so, And again, you know, one of them, um, Garnier, again, was saying that, you know, the need for more treatments, research and services is clear and thankfully financial uh, backing and public support are mounting. I think we all agree with that, right? And then she goes like, for every woman, everyone will experience this life stage and it's bordering on criminal neglect that women have suffered for so long in silence and not getting the care and support that they need. Again, I think we all agree with that. But then you've got the fact that, you know, people are going, well, you know, this isn't quite like uh, pregnancy. So again, pregnancy is obviously another market, but it's a very um, limited market in the sense that women are only pregnant for, for nine months and then their symptoms generally are, you know, wrapped up, quote-unquote, within a couple of years. Menopause, paramenopause, that can go like 10 to 30 years, right? So I think they're also recognising that it's, this isn't an overnight cure that people need. It's up to 30 years of buying the same face cream... And again, lining the pockets of people, and so again, I think this is where I've—I I think I was going with that—that that question I was asking about like the diet, because people need the symptoms, and so you need people creating those symptoms and those solutions for people. But equally, you don't then want to allow it to go so far that then they're completely capitalising on a group of people who are desperate for solutions. And actually, one of the things I found in here was um, HRT so uh hrt apparently was something that came out in the 1940s uh, but it wasn't until like the 60s that it became much more widespread uh there were studies that obviously showed the benefits of it and it became um much more widely adopted then apparently in 2022 um, there was a publication of the Women's uh, Health Initiative study which found that HRT increased the risk of um, heart 2002, disease.
1: 2002,
2: yeah. Yeah, coronary heart disease, yeah. heart attacks, and also breast cancer and strokes. Um, and the problem with that is that then this uh, this study triggered panic among people who were using HRT. And by the, the what I was reading, that, that kind of hasn't really recovered. Like medical professionals have been desperately trying to, you know, not reverse the you know the effects of that study, but to, to say, like, it's actually, it's okay and there's more clinical trials been done and it's okay. And I know that Breast Cancer UK have come out and said, like, it's actually, it's so non-normal the amount of people who actually end up getting breast cancer because of this. So, like, it's it's really fascinating. But the, the problem with that is that the sudden rejection of HRT then also found loads of women who thought they'd found a solution now being pushed out into a market trying to find treatments and no longer trusting medical professionals to help them and that's a really scary space to be where you know there was a stat in here about the number of women who no longer feel like they can go to a health practitioner even though their symptoms are you know is affecting how they work or affecting how they sleep or their relationships and they do not feel confident enough to be able to go to a doctor to have a conversation with them
1: yeah so um i'm gonna answer many aspects of that Please <laughs> so <the, the>, do <laughs> the study in 2002 so actually I'm going to go back pre that um old HRT um, used to be made from pregnant mare's urine which is oh, nice um, and <laughs> yeah I know right and was a fairly sort of one size fits all attempt to keep women being dutiful shall we say
2: because you know all beautiful no dutiful sorry oh, right. dutiful.
1: <laughs> um and keep them not from being locked up in asylums and things like that so that because um, as estrogen declines so does our tolerance of bullshit so hrt helped to keep us dutiful anyway um so that's with the old preparations of hrt which were fairly um what's the word i want sort of sled y It's not really the word I want, but you know what I mean. It were not very subtle. Um, Then there was the study in 2002, and I'm sure I will get corrected on this, but basically the um, people that they used in the study were all over menopause age, and so by virtue of age and general life stuff were more predisposed to breast cancer and other issues. And the link to HRT was blown up, but actually the study hadn't been has been shown not to have been carried out as well as it might have been, shall we say? So of course then everybody sees the headlines and the headline says HRT causes breast cancer. Yeah. And everyone goes, whoa shit been that don't want that anymore which Meanwhile, is also
2: dangerous isn't it to completely take yourself off it overnight well,
1: yeah like yeah. with anything you know um it's you know anything that you are your body has come become accustomed to if you suddenly just stop it immediately it's not going to go well you know, there's a reason our hormones decline and they don't just sort of <laughs> accept if you have a hysterectomy then they literally just um, fall off a cliff anyway subsequently hrt formulations have been massively improved and there's a lot of choice now. So you've got um you can still take oral ones, but they're not made from pregnant mare's urine. Yeah. Oh, that is that <laughs> terrifyingly, Premarin, which is the, the brand that is that, is actually still prescribed in some areas in the US.
2: Oh wow. Um Do they know but anyway, it's because they don't market what it's made of, right?
1: It's because of um healthcare and insurance in the US. And let's not get started on <laughs> women's health in the US. Huh? <laughs> Now's not the time for that, because I don't think we've got time. Um, <laughs> but so, so these days you can get um, oral ones, transdermal ones, you, which come as patches or gels or sprays. or yeah. So There's lots of different ways of taking HRT these days that don't put the same strain on your liver and things for processing it. So there's also, historically, there's been an issue if anybody has um, blood clotting issues, HRT can be problematic with that, just as some of the combined pill can. Um, But the transdermal ones don't, because it's all about how your body is processing it. So if you're you're using it through your skin, your body processes it differently. Mm. I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to, you know. Anyway, so there are a lot more options now and there are the body identical ones which are derived from yams Mm. so are as natural for want of another word as any others they're not i mean i don't understand how medicines are made i don't need to understand how medicines are made but they're not sort of somebody in a lab going right we'll have some of this some of this some of this some of this stir it all together and send it off to keep women dutiful um
0: (laughs) Have you got t-shirts with that? No, I need it though, don't I? Yeah, the perimenopause uh, um... estrogen keeps me dutiful yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so um <laughs> so the, so we, we've come along we've come on a long way, but unfortunately, education to doctors hasn't necessarily kept up. so new doctors are absolutely across this. Mm-hmm. But doctors who've been in the, um, in the profession for a while, who if they haven't chosen to go down a menopause special interest, they don't have this information. So they're potentially still referring back to the 2002 study yeah. Yeah. and scaremongering of something that actually shouldn't be being used for scaremongering. Yeah. Um, and as an aside, at medical school, This 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 blows my mind. Right. So I was talking to a doctor the other day. This is a while ago now. And for some reason, the the subject of a condition called transverse myelitis, which my mother has came up and transverse myelitis gets 300 diagnoses a year in the UK versus menopause. Half of population will experience Mm. The doctor I was speaking to said she learned more about transverse myelitis at medical school than she did about menopause. Wow. She has subsequently, she is now a menopause doctor, and so she has subsequently chosen to go down the women's health route. But in actual medical school, she learned more about transverse myelitis, which, by the way, no GP will ever need to deal with because it's a neurological thing and it'll go... But obviously, men can get transverse
2: myelitis. But there was there was an uptake, wasn't there, in the number of doctors? Um, it was in the tens of thousands of doctors who ended up taking on the additional training that the government offered around menopausal mm. symptoms a couple of years ago, um, because it was on offer. And they're like, "Oh yeah, shit, we should probably know a little bit about this." And so, like you and you know, Smita was saying, Doctor Smita was saying that you know she absolutely every doctor does know about it. But perhaps not to the level of depth that, you know, is actually going to transfer into being helpful um, for, for every patient. And, yeah, that just kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? And it's something that could be ignored for so long. And again, you know, the, the language used a second ago, but it is criminal that women have been left to deal with this on their own in silence for so long. Um, and actually, the more that we start learning about it, the more tracking that we do. And as you said, that you know, the more focus we put on miseducation around this stuff i think is going to be hugely beneficial to not only the generation going for it right now but future generations who will eventually experience um i just think i just
1: think it's i think it's terrifying shocking criminal not sure which word to choose that something that affects i mean regardless of what level of symptoms Mm -hmm. it affects half the population we can't get away from that and i know some women sail through it and then their periods end and they go oh brilliant lovely job's good and and I know there are some women who are utterly crippled by it, but it will affect all of us, just like period starting affects every girl. You know, it's it's something that the medical profession should and certainly GPs, because it is it is not something you would be asking for a referral for. It's something that you will show up to your GP about. It doesn't it's not an acute thing where you'd go to A and E or you'd you know it's it's a it's a chronic ongoing experience of symptoms yeah. that you will keep going back and forth to your GP for so they should be able to help us and
0: I think. probably along with med- I mean more so with medical like you know medical professionals medical uh students should learn more about it but I also kind of feel like we should learn more about it at school um you know like we learn about periods I remember there was so when I had sex education at school time so 37 um the boys and the girls were separated out and the girls were taught about periods and the boys i don't know what they were taught about but then they weren't taught about taught about periods yeah. they learned about periods in science when we got to high school um but the, like i know that's changed now there's more education for both you know for all genders when it comes to um when it comes to periods but really you know the chances are there'll be mums like kids mums going through perimenopause it might be helpful for them for kids to understand that um yeah. and it shouldn't be really that I got to my early 30s and didn't really know much about menopause and certainly not about mer- perimenopause all I knew is that my granny went through it very late she didn't go through it till she was about 60 mm. um and you know and and uh, my mum had a hysterectomy in her mid thirties, so she was sort of plunged into it. So what I knew was hot flushes and hairy chins. That's something we talked about on our on our pre- previous menopause episodes. But obviously, as Ellie said, there's so many more symptoms. But that's what I knew. You get hot flushes and you get more hairs on your chin. That's it. But
2: apparently, though, it's the hot flushes, which is. Um it's directly linked to the growth of the menopause market. It's the first thing that people are tapping into because okay. it's perhaps one of the most common symptoms. And so to lure women into kind of using their products, apparently it's the thing that they target the most. Um, and the second thing is dietary supplements. It seems to be like one of the highest, like those, seem, those two things seem to be the thing that's most marketed. Uh, yeah.
1: Um. Just quickly going back to what you were saying about learning at school. I, I, I've, I've mulled this one over because like, I will campaign for it if I think it'll work, because I'll, I'll you know, that... <laughs> it's the gobby cow thing again. It's coming back. Um, but I just, I worry that, like, when we're at school, the idea of being 25 is ancient. <laughs> and so the idea of something that happens in people's 40s and 50s yeah. <laughs> I mean, by that point, I'll be wearing a twin set and knitting. <laughs> I won't leave the house. I won't have a life. Good God, why would I want to know something about ha- anything that happens in 40s? So that's that's my that's my concern with introducing it at school, is that it's, it's just so far removed from where they're at in life, even if their parents are going through it. Because, frankly, kids don't give a shit what their parents are going through, do they? They're just like, I don't know, mum's really <sighs> moody today. Um, I would love to see... Um, something come in whereby women get called for a kind of a health checkup you you get called after you're 40 or 45 depending on where you are in the country i would love to see that happen at 35 and just a conversation with the menopause nurse or the menopause doctor in the in the practice just saying this is what will be happening in the next few years you may not experience any of these symptoms don't panic it's fine Mm. but if you do start to this is this is how we can help you here's how we can signpost you to places and this is how we can help i would also love in my little ideal world for us to understand what our normal looks like in terms of our hormones because we don't know that so going back to the sort of sex education at school and the the I would love for girls to be taught about tracking and getting to know their body Mm -hmm. from teens because that's how you actually advocate for yourself. It's how you advocate for yourself through wanting to get pregnant, through being pregnant, through postnatal, through perimenopause, through menopause. It's, if you know your own body, that's where you can actually advocate for yourself. So what I would love to see is a sort of a two stage thing so that in in learning about periods at school, we learn that it isn't just that some blood happens and then do, 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 nothing else happens. Because actually, we learn that throughout our cycle, we show up differently each day. We have days when we are absolutely epic and we have days when, frankly, we need a blanket and a hot water bottle and that that's OK. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that we live in a male world and we're expected just to show up the same every day. But actually, I would love if teenage girls were taught that it's OK. It's OK that your energy levels change through your cycle. It's OK that your appetite changes through your cycle. It's OK that your mood changes through your cycle. Mm. And that the more you get to know that, the more you can spot what that feels like in you. So when you, can, you go, oh, period must be coming. I'm needing all of the stodgy food. Rather than thinking, oh, my God, I'm a really bad person because I want to eat stodgy food. I'll have to eat a lettuce leaf to punish myself. Yeah. Um, So that would be the, the school part of it. Because simply by virtue of getting to know their own bodies, then those girls, once they get to perimenopause age, would be starting to spot things sooner. Then I would like to see a kind of a nurse appointment at kind of about 35 saying, as you start spotting that things change because we know you've been tracking since you were 15 because that's what we've instilled this is how we can help you yeah that's you know in emily's ideal world where there's also unicorns and glitter everywhere um, that's how it'll work um you know doesn't work like that yet but um but i just and and this comes back to the 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 commercialization of the whole thing I, I advocate for tracking, in case I haven't mentioned that, um, <laughs> which is all about getting to know your own body hmm. and doing what your own body needs now, as opposed to the commercialization, which is goes, okay, let's absolve you of any knowledge of your own body and we think you need this because we think you need to look like this and you need to feel like this and you need to do this. No. Learn yeah. what you are, who you are, and then let that... Um, guide you
2: through things. I think that's great. I think it's really great and um again another question that we had uh, for you Emily. There was an article that came out uh from it was at the back of the Australian uh study and it said again talking about the menopause market and it said that women are being driven to treat symptoms with unnecessary products um because the there's been an overemphasis on the severity and frequency of symptoms. And the problem with that is that people then often um i'm going to say this wrong uh menopause Catastrophise.
1: there we are
2: thank you um (laughs) menopause in the minds of australian women and then they also you know they're now finding also that then has a uh a knock-on effect into employment as well so actually there's a lot of um bosses and and uh industries which then conflate menopause symptoms as well and perhaps give women a harder time because then everything that is going on in women's life then goes oh it must be the menopause so like what we've been trying to get rid of ages is like oh she must be on a period but now suddenly like oh it's the menopause and there was um this really well there's a quote uh here that says um beneath the feminist solidarity of this global push to recognize menopause and its impact on our health finances and lives is, in fact, another example of siloing women out of the workplace and off career ladders because of their biology. This gives men a reason to use our biology to keep us out of the workplace. And that was by Tanya Yuin, um, in an opinion piece that she wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, November, so last month, uh, of 2023. Mm. And I think what's interesting about this is that, you know, we are encouraging women to talk more about this. We're encouraging those conversations. But going back to what you were just saying, it's less about, hey, guys at 14 years old you know there's gonna be this big thing of the menopause and it's gonna be this massive dramatic part of your life da la la what you're advocating for is like let's educate women around their bodies let's educate women about how they can track their bodies and use that kind of data to advocate for themselves whereas kind of what Tanya Ewing was saying there about this you know feminist solidarity is unfortunately the more we glorify it and talk about it in such a way that then women are scaremongered into trying to you know find a solution for every little thing when some some, i'm sure some of those things you could probably work through others will need you know more medical intervention um and then unfortunately having that knock-on effect then into the workplace where we're then finding women being siloed again because they're Mm -hmm. like oh you know it must be the menopause and because of those misunderstandings about what the menopause is and how women are coping with that menopause symptoms they then get they start getting invited to meetings because oh you know it's probably going to be a bit too much for sarah so we just won't invite her in and I find that really interesting, kind of, the overlap between the more we talk about it, which is a good thing, but how we're talking about it can then, one, impact how much women are, are seeking out these symptoms. And we've already spoken about, like, we're not trusting doctors. So, um uh, a 2020 survey by Mumsnet and Garznet found that many respondents did not trust GPs to diagnose the perimenopause or the menopause correctly. And that was 39% of women did not think their perimenopause was going to get diagnosed and 25% didn't think their menopause uh, was going to get diagnosed correctly. So like, we know women aren't trusting GPs. We know that there's this untapped gold mine of menopause market of $600 billion. So we know that companies are jumping onto that. Plus, we're also having the seep into the workplace, which is then denying women those opportunities, which you said, you know, they're, they're probably the, one of the richest parts of their lives in terms of experience, in terms yeah. of that income. And for me, that you know, that's not a coincidence <laughs> that all that comes together.
1: But then there's also... There's also a difficulty in the wording, in the semantics. I do like to get into semantics. Not one of my, yeah. my favourite things. <laughs> um, I have a lot of favourite things. You know, dogs, wine, semantics.
0: <laughs> you fit in very well here. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: the the word diagnosis and diagnose is being used too often. We don't diagnose puberty. It isn't a diagnosis. This isn't an illness. Yeah. This is a this is a life stage. Mm. So Yes, doctors should be better able to spot it and to understand it and to to signpost for help. But people there has been as part of the kind of increase in talking about it, there is a, a danger of it becoming over medicalized, which it isn't a diagnosis, it isn't it's not an illness, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's literally something that happens it's a reverse puberty it's not a... yeah, you
0: don't get diagnosed with pregnancy do you
1: exactly and it's <laughs> um and so semantically it 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 troubles me when i see this coming up in a lot of articles and you know and the way the um survey that you've just referred to ellie mm. has obviously been worded they've they've used the word diagnosis as though they're trying to encourage these women to seek something terribly serious yeah when And and I'm not for a second saying that the symptoms can feel awful. I, I am where I am because my symptoms were so horrific. So I'm not for a second underplaying anybody's symptoms. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is we need to move towards understanding this is an absolutely natural transition in a woman's life. This is completely normal. This will happen to all of us, just like puberty happened to all of us. Our doctors should be better versed in how to signpost us and support us through this. And we should be empowered with the understanding of what our bodies are doing and what is happening so that we can reach out for the help that we need as we need it. Beyond that, everything then becomes cynical and about making money or about medicalizing it, which ultimately is about making money for Big Pharma. Mm. And that isn't what this needs. What this needs is understanding and empowerment Mm. so that we can choose because the the beauty of it being a, a, a life transition is that we get to choose how we navigate it you know um if you have for example low thyroid you know that's a medical thing with a medical pathway if you have cancer that's a medical thing with a medical pathway Menopause isn't a medical thing with a medical pathway. There are, there are ways that the medical world can help us, but there are so many other ways that we can, we can navigate it however we wish. So if somebody wishes to navigate it by overhauling what they eat, absolutely do that because you may well find that there are some things that you're eating that are exacerbating some of your symptoms and that you can manage it like that. Some people will find that with the right supplements not just generically buying up the entire vast swathes of them but some people will find that food can't go quite far enough and actually that they just need to supplement a few bits that they can't get in their diet and that will be enough some people will find that changing up how they exercise will help enough for them some people will find that they need to actually address some past shit that's holding them back and that once they've resolved that trauma then they're okay to go forwards. But we're all different and this is the thing, you know, this comes back to what I was saying right at the start about about sort of us being put into a box. Oh right, well she's now in the menopause box. Okay, brilliant. So the doctors must prescribe her this and the cosmetic industries must now sell her this and this and this and this. And, this. and I'm like, hang on a minute, no. Yeah. Like this doesn't take into account that I want to eat cheese and drink wine like I just I I want to carry on being Emily I just happen to be reaching somewhere near hopefully one day the end of my periods that doesn't change who I am Mm. and it doesn't need to be medicalized for me to I mean yes I take a very low dose of HRT because it helps to just keep me a little bit more stable and that helps the doctors want me to take a higher dose mm. because that's what the that's what the thing says. That's what the the flowchart says. But I've listened to my body and gone, okay. Where actually do I have minimal symptoms? Yeah. Here. Okay, this is what works for me. Now, for some people, they will find that through how they eat. For some people, they'll find that through how they exercise. For some people, they'll find that mm. through mindfulness. Whatever how each of us chooses to manage this just like how we choose to manage our periods. I mean, before we started recording, we were talking about menstrual discs. I mean, you know, that wasn't an option when I started my periods, it was pads or tampons. Now we have Mm -hmm. so many choices, but as with all of women's health, we have choices, but we kind of need to empower ourselves to be able to make those choices.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I think that's a you know, with regards to the the choices, I think like we're very used to making choices around our own contraception, aren't we? So you know, I I talk to my friends all the time about the pill or the coil or the jab or the implant or the whatever you know, and going through it, we make those, and every one of my friends has had different experiences with every one of those things. I've got a coil, I've got a friend who had a coil and had the worst time. Whereas Mm. I'm like, it's amazing. Do, do it. Um, Whereas she was like, God, no, but it's the same thing, isn't it? When it comes to the menopause, like you, you might say HRT at this level is amazing for me. Someone else tries it and it's just not going to work.
1: No, absolutely. And, and this is, you've absolutely hit on something that surprises me regularly. The number of women who have taken hormonal contraception, since age 16 or whatever, and then suddenly like, go, well, I won't take HRT. Oh, my goodness. Like... Hang on a minute. Yeah. Just run that by me again. <laughs> I
2: uh, I know someone who won't take HRT because um, they are scared of testosterone and they don't want to become more masculine. And I have tried to tell her that she already has testosterone in her system. Um
1: and... Also, the chances of her getting her sticky mitts on any testosterone are slim to none. Because <laughs> it is nigh on impossible to get. You will get you'll get your estrogen and your progesterone, yeah. but wow, you've got a fight if you want to get testosterone. Yes, so yeah. that I mean, you know, yeah. and if you if you don't if your body doesn't need testosterone, it will try. It will turn it into estrogen.
2: Yes, I have heard what that. It's doing. Yeah. But you're not going to grow a penis. You're going to be okay, right? <laughs> it's just like... i <laughs> <like>, the chin <laughs> hairs <doesn't> are <happen> anyway. <laughs> yeah,
1: like...
2: But it's fascinating, isn't it? And again, it all comes down to this, like, scaremongering and misinformation. And just yeah. you hear one thing and it sticks with you and you just go, I don't want to touch that. Because, you know...
1: But, but it's also, it's almost like we have... Like I, I know, I'm saying we need to empower ourselves and have choice and, and make the choice that's right for us. But like when I was first put on the pill, there was no suggestion of a choice.
2: Yeah,
1: it was just like, oh, you just go on the pill now. And actually, to an extent, if there, if if we had this ongoing education about it, of going right, here is the pill. This is an option for contraception mm-hmm. until such a time as you don't want that, and after that, there will become a point when. Basically, we'll move you to a different dose of estrogen and progesterone, and that will be HRT. And, you know, if, if that were more the sort of standard narrative, no one would query it. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't think we should all just automatically be put on the pill. And I don't think we all need HRT at all. That's not what I'm saying here. But I think it's just interesting how we have these different takes on things. And I'm just... A little slighter side again. Sorry, I'm really bad for these little tangents. We love a side. We
2: love a little side tangent, yeah.
1: <laughs> so, from the age of whatever, we can all get hold of the pill or the coil or the injection or the whatever.
0: Hmm.
1: Have either of you ever tried getting sterilised?
0: No. No, but I do know somebody who who did try, uh, and uh, she had quite the difficulty. <laughs>
1: Like me, it's hard. Yes, because you'll change your mind. You'll change your mind because you because you are you are a woman, so you can't know your own mind. And the fact that the fact that you know you don't want children, no, that'll change when you re- meet the right man, because he'll persuade you.
0: Fabulous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I have a I have a friend who at twenty nine he had a vasectomy. And there was no question, none, none whatsoever. Um, whereas I ha- also have a friend who was, I think, 39 or 40. And she went to the doctors and said she wanted a sterilization. Um, and the first question was, does your husband know? And she was like, "Uh, yes. Uh, but also the fact he'd had a vasectomy as well, but they still wouldn't give her a sterilization in case she changed her mind
2: this is like it's the problem isn't it because the the whole thing that a penis can like spread its seed far and wide whereas a woman can only get pregnant maximum two times a year so the fact you know i'd argue wombs are still considered much more precious because obviously um we only need one penis to impregnate the population um not that we should go down that avenue do not do uh like no um but you know
0: it's oh it's... i
1: shudder there are some influencers who want to <laughs> no, it,
0: <laughs> it happened in um it happened in sweden there was a guy who uh who, who I was, wasn't I? yeah and now people they are genuinely being told to get dna tests before they date someone
2: Duh, i mean this is this is where it goes horribly wrong horribly yeah.
0: wrong um, sorry back,
2: back to where we were back to no, but one thing I wanted to reference back to you obviously you mentioned Sunita um, from Paul's life, and there is one thing I would say to her credit I mean she's full of energy she was like you know really great but there was a lot of depressing news uh, for women at that event about the fact that your sex life is going to change the way you view your husband is going to change again like things that <laughs> she said um, as soon as you lose uh, your oestrogen or the bullshit you know you can't out of it anymore and p- apparently a lot of women like initiate divorces during the menopause as well because suddenly everything they found mm. cute and like wonderful about their husband suddenly became like the pain in the ass and they just didn't want to be in the same room with them so actually a lot of like divorces got initiated during this period as well and um i kind of listened to like three or four talks from women who had the similar experiences and they're basically like it's doom and gloom no sex you don't love your husband anymore you don't love yourself anymore it's shit right Get but then on. what Get, get four um but there were there were a lot of people saying it doesn't have to be this way you know actually after the menopause it's a new lease of life and one thing Snita did say and this did crack me up uh, she basically was talking about and she referred to herself as a a cooch um she said she got her cooch fixed by this doctor and she said you know it was a lot of money but um the way she worded it was it's either a three weeks holiday or 40 years of great sex and that's how she kind of justified it in her head part of me wants to know where she's going on holiday for three weeks so i know roughly how much i'm budgeting for but the <laughs> point that made me smile was like having heard someone else say sex is gone you're not going to enjoy it anymore etc etc you know dryness all that kind of stuff to then have someone say actually there was a solution it cost me some money but i chose to do this for myself and actually i am have great sex life now in my 60s and it's really great it doesn't have to be doom and gloom yeah. i i did enjoy having someone on stage say that so going back to the cosmetics things and people kind of looking for medical interventions in a way that you know are perhaps less natural it's it's good that they're out there because actually for some people they do want to keep having an enjoyable sex life they probably still fancy their husband deep down
1: and want that back again you know like and but i don't i don't think it needs to be as extreme as that i mean we can just use vaginal estrogen there we go but I, just wanted to, like, I haven't mentioned my little book but anyway um what i wanted to mention in this is that in this book which i will quickly elaborate on in a second because i'm just going to shamelessly do plug do a shameless um, plug yeah at the end we have notes from the other side um so i asked a few postmenopausal women to tell me the best thing about being through this life stage here's what they had to say so one of them said life is so much better postmenopause one gr- one benefit is no cost of sanitary products and sex can still be great there we go Yep. Yeah. um Another person said, you can have sex whenever you want. And I'm like, well, actually, hang on a second. Of five people I spoke to, yeah. two of them specifically yes. mentioned that sex is now unencumbered because you're not thinking about pregnancy. You're not trying to dance around your period. Yeah. It can, It can just be when you want it to be. So, again... And, and that's again, that is not taking away from the people who experience really extreme vaginal atrophy, because that is a horrific thing to d- to, to go through. And if anyone wants to read um, a book about it, me and my vaginal, <laughs> me and my menopausal vagina by Jane Lewis. If you have any queries about anything to do with vaginal atrophy, seriously read that book. I think going back to what I was saying at the nurse thing that we all should have at 35, that book should just be given out so that you spot the signs of vaginal atrophy. Early because right. it can be so easily remedied, like, so easily remedied. But people are embarrassed to talk about it because oh, it's, oh, it's down there. It's my lady bits, and we laugh, need to talk it about it. But it's terrible. And so yeah. that is one thing that I think the this perception that we all will dry up and never have sex again. Not true. Mm-hmm we all will leak when we jump we don't need to by the way we don't need tenor lady for the rest of our lives by the way there are lots of things we could do about all of these just these messages about how once you're into menopause basically everything's shit you're past it you're leaking you can't have sex you hate everybody and frankly you've got a beard like, really? Wow! <laughs> yeah. Fucking hell. And here's it's, a list you know, of
2: solutions for you that will cost you a measly thirty grand yeah. a year,
1: or exactly, <laughs> or take control of your own body yeah. and address the things that are causing you issues in your life. If vaginal atrophy is a problem, please speak to your doctor about it. They couldn't care less that you're talking about your vagina. To them, it's just a body part, just the same as if you're talking about your ear or your finger. Like it is not embarrassing to them. It is only embarrassing to you because, societally, we've decided that our lady bits uh, are embarrassing.
2: Otherwise known Um, as a vagina, vulva, and everything else.
1: I know, right? Otherwise known as. Get the right word for the right bit.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think I would say as well. <laughs> and I think this kind of probably summarizes this as well. It's like, look for solutions. You mentioned there, like things that affecting your life. So like, this is yeah. one of the things, if you're constantly seeking out solutions which make you meek, that make you dutiful, that make you younger again, all those things, for me, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, right? Those are, like, you are being pressured into spending your money, your hard-earned money, before you retire, where you should be going on girls' holidays and having the best time, like, the best, like, retirement. Like, if you are putting your money into those kind of solutions, yes, you may feel good, and yes, you may feel like you're helping yourself, but actually, like, if you can instead... Take that step back and actually think about the things which are impacting your life and the life that you want to lead and how that's impacting the relationships that you're having and the relationships you want to keep in your life um that for me feels like where we should be and perhaps and that's it, the line you know? and you've
1: hit the nail on the head the relationships you want to keep in your life yeah because as the bullshit tolerance goes like <laughs> another thing that I like to bleat on about is is boundaries and a lot of women don't mm. have any boundaries because our estrogen makes us dutiful um <laughs> I've never said that before and suddenly that's become my catchphrase in this one um
0: your catchphrase, <laughs> I love it. But, like,
1: but as as the estrogen declines actually we we do need to start putting boundaries in place and mm. Learning to say no and no is an absolutely acceptable answer. And I think as women, we're kind of societally expected. Oh, yes, of course. I'll go and do that. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Yes, of course. Oh, of course. And certainly for me, because fatigue was such a huge problem at the start and I had to set boundaries because I simply did not have the capacity for anything, you know. And so that was a fairly steep learning curve because i would never said no I've yeah. never said no to people I've never done anything that would make me unlikable I'm rolling my eyes
2: <laughs> <laughs> but there's the thing isn't it it's like like find you went seeking your energy back yeah for you for Not me your energy back so you could service continue servicing everyone else in your life you know and that's empowering
0: and and seeking out the people that matter to you as you said those relationships because i'm i'm a people pleaser um recently i have not had the time patience capacity to deal with people that i have uh previously gone all right fine i will give you an afternoon or i'll give you a a whatever and i've gone i just can't and i've been spending time doing uh, things with and being with the people that I enjoy being with mm-hmm. and going no to everything else. And that mm-hmm. is not something I'm used to no, um, no. at all. Um, and as, so as you say, I think, and, and it makes me happier. I, I have moments of guilt where I'm like, oh, but I haven't seen that person or I haven't had time to speak to that person or whatever. Um, And anyone who's listening to this, who I haven't spoken to, I normally spend a lot of time with, uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, um, But also, there are also (laughs) people in in my (laughs) boat. (laughs) There are are people people who are in the same boat as me, who are going, I've got this thing that's happening in my life right now and I can't cope. And I think we should all be able to say, I, own, I, I just don't have the time or capacity brain power uh, will mm-hmm. to yeah, spend yeah. time with these people or to, to do these things um, I think that's a yeah it's a really important message
1: And I think it should be okay to say that in the workplace as well because I think you know a lot of us find um, in the workplace that because we've been so amenable and all the rest that you know we potentially become the people that that pick up the slack when other people, a bit tight on a deadline or whatever and again it's it's perfectly acceptable to go i haven't got time today sorry i might be able to help you tomorrow you know it's a no but it's a slightly softer no yeah but it's still a boundary and it's still just actually just pushing back which you know we are we are raised you know from birth to to always make everything smooth and you know to sort of get make sure that it's all okay and actually we we as women are valid in our own rights mm-hmm. to put ourselves first yeah
0: love that isn't that a perfect place to to end <laughs>
2: yeah. emily was there anything that you came to say that you haven't yet had an opportunity to say
1: just that i've got my lovely book what is what is the name of your lovely book? I just realised, yes, this is an audio recording. <laughs> Me showing the book is not helpful. Um, <laughs> it's called the Art to Zen of Perimenopause, so the A A R G H R to Zen of Perimenopause: The Essential Guide to Navigating Perimenopause Your Way, and it is forty-eight chapters from forty of the experts in the Perimenopause Hub, covering everything you might need it's very much designed to be a dip in and out book so if one week you want to know about anxiety and the following week you want to know about foods that support you your body through perimenopause you dip in and you read the chapter that you need to read perfect
0: so i think i think we've got a number of numbers of a uh, few bits of homework but the one i can remember is uh, grab a glass of wine and set some boundaries um i'm sure we've got a few others that pops yeah. up um but yeah, it's been. This has been so good, so interesting. Loved all the asides. Um, can you please tell us what your favourite wine is before we go? As an ex wine merchant, you see that's that's not
1: a one, that's not a one wine answer. That depends on the situation, the people, the food, the my mood, the season. So okay, let me let me answer that in a different way. When I win the lottery. Um. The first wine I would buy would be Verve Clicquot Grand Dame, which is their um, single vintage champagne. Lovely. So yeah. Verve Clicquot do their, their non-vintage yeah. champagne, which means it's grapes from different years, and they blend it so it always tastes the same each year. And then they do a vintage one, which they only make in years when the grapes are amazing. And that is their Grand Dame, and it is stunning. So I if, I, if money weren't an issue, it would yeah. be Grand, Grand, Verve Clicquot Grand Dame otherwise you know
0: what, what would your time... go-to this evening be so we're in well, we're in winter it's so,
1: december so red wine now hates me sadly oh. um so if i were to go for a red wine <laughs> unfortunately my mouth would go oh this is so nice and then my body would go fuck you <laughs> um <laughs> thanks barry manopause um but if i were to i would go either for a corbierre or a um uh ah, my brain's just gone completely blank. Montepulciano d'Abruzzo from Italy, Those are my two go-to's mm-hmm. on red, because they're both at sensible price points. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on white, I'm very partial to a Peak Paul de Pinot from the south of France.
0: That's my favourite. So but, and M um, who used I'm to be on say, the podcast. I'm also say, big favourite.
1: Yeah. In Tesco's but don't go to the Beckles Tesco and you know, clear this out for me, by the way. <laughs> They do a really nice Trebbiano Deverizzo. So, Northern Italian, clean white wine, nicer than Pinot Grigio because Pinot's become overdone. Mm. Just nice, crisp, does its job. £4.75.
0: Goodness I me. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I shouldn't tell people about that
2: i mean you have not though I know. luckily we're not like you know our, our viewership isn't massive right now but um those who are listening the Valley but this is why you should listen to this podcast right because there's all these little yeah. gems Tips
0: yeah. on all things, yeah. Tips yeah. On all things. <laughs> thank um, you so so much for all of your uh knowledge and wise words and wine recommendations
2: Absolutely. If you ever get a chance, Emily is a great hugger as well. Not that we got to experience that today, but um, it was a great hug the first time we met. So thank thank you you so much. (laughs) And I got a sticker, which was on the back of my phone for ages. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So yeah, thank you for kind of you obviously like at that moment i felt safe that i could come and talk to you about something that i'd recognized in that day so a thank you for kind of opening that space there and for being so open to come and chat to us today i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh i knew you were magic when i met you but like we've learned so much about you today and
0: it's just been glorious so thank you so much thank you i have got one more oh uh grab a glass of wine don't be dutiful <laughs>
2: don't be dutiful don't do that it's a trap yeah, don't do be it.
0: dutiful <laughs> the unfair sex is not sponsored so if you liked our show please show your support by liking subscribing and sharing on all your favorite social media platforms we're on twitter at the unfair sex you can find us on instagram and facebook as at the unfair sex podcast and you can email us the unfair sex at gmail.com just want to pop into there was a bit we were talking about having sex with husbands i just briefly want to point out that maybe people are having sex with their wives too and can you imagine if both women are going through the menopause at the same time
1: and imagine if if they've got got teenage kids in
0: the house as well (sighs) well. we've got periods we've got menopause we've got oh god that's such a great point
2: that is such a great point and just wanted to
0: just wanted to highlight the for the 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 non the non-straight folks in our in our listenership
2: yeah, that, that, hands up. That was very heteronormative of me, and I apologise. Um, <laughs>
1: Although I am just, I am going to say that it tends to be husbands that call, that 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 are where the sticking point is. It doesn't. I'm I'm not noticing the same level of fallout in same sex couples. Oh, interesting
0: interesting yeah. really interesting
2: I mean I have asked my husband and I said look buddy this thing's gonna come up right if I ask for a divorce can you just double check that's actually what I want you know it could just be a <laughs> spur-of-the-moment thing let's just have a chat about it give me a couple of days um, don't pack your bags until we've had a chat <laughs>